Hello, everybody, and welcome to Purple Hats 2022. I hope you're as excited as I am, especially with the awesome duo of panelists that I have here with me today. Speaking of awesome panelists, I'm very humbled to be joined by two MITRE rock stars. First off, we have Kat Self. Kat is currently the lead adversary emulation engineer with MITRE. Prior to that, she was a threat hunter and a red team engineer for Target. She also did time with the U.S. Army and military intelligence, if that is a thing. Kat, thank you for your service, and welcome to the panel today. Things. I'm really grateful to be here. I'm also joined by Jonathan Baker. John is the founding director for the Center for Threat Informed Defense at MITRE Ingenuity. Congratulations, by the way, John, on your new role. Thanks. Prior to that, he was leading cyber threat intel and adversary emulation for MITRE and has been with MITRE for over 18 years. Wow. Thank you both for joining me today. You ready to get to it? Yeah, let's go. Let's do it. All right. Kat, I want to start off with you. Like you, I'm sure, I was exposed to MITRE in the military. They work closely with our special operations communication teams in several R&D efforts. However, I was unaware of their role in cybersecurity until many years after I got out of the Air Force. Can you give us an overview of what MITRE is as an organization and what their mission is? Sure. So MITRE is a nonprofit. And the whole point of MITRE is to be able to... Um, what is in the public interest, right? Like what is what is good for the public? And so fun fact, I didn't know this until after I started working at MITRE, um, but like the IRS and Medicare and Medicaid, they came from MITRE. Like those were um, projects that were trying to solve a solution that actually came from MITRE. Um, Attack is one of those solutions, right? Where it's um, trying to solve something for the public good. So that's what MITRE is. It's a nonprofit in the public interest and, uh, and it has all these awesome projects that it spins off. That are for the public. When you when you talk about it being in the public interest, what are kind of some of the goals and objectives that that MITRE has that it's trying to solve for the public interest? Like that's a great question. So uh, <laughs> I mean, like insert world problems, right? Because like, literally their slogan is like how to make the world a better place. In fact, all of our goals for the year are involved, like which is like such a crazy measurement, but it's like involved evolved around impact. Like how mm. did you? make the world a better place. Like that is literally our access for our goals. So yeah. I would say- you know, can I just chime in honestly? Yeah, absolutely. What's unique about MITRE is that, you know, we are this nonprofit that's chartered to work in the public interest. We run these federally funded research and development centers that really span across all a whole bunch of different areas in the government. And so what that means is that, you know, MITRE broadly speaking, as Kat says, like focused on impact. What can we do that'll make a difference? And that might be in, you know, increasing safety in healthcare or outcomes in healthcare. That might be in cybersecurity. That might be in identifying tax fraud. You know, like it, it's really broad in scope, the nature of MITRE's work. And, you know, to your question, MITRE's had, uh, you know, a very, very long history in cybersecurity. And, um, and doing work in the public interest in cybersecurity. I think the, the most prominent thing that MITRE's done um, over many years now, I mean, attack is certainly a front runner, but you got to think about the common vulnerability uh, and exposure uh, mm -hmm. project, the CVE project, which is widely used you know, all over the world, helps people understand vulnerabilities. 
I think the CVE project is is critically important to highlight people on because thousands of researchers, hundreds of thousands of researchers use that every day, whether it's blue team or red team, and they're probably intimately familiar with it, but oftentimes don't think about MITRE as an organization to kind of be at the heart or the core of that. Yeah. You, you now, John, of, you... Oh, I was just going to go back to that, like, public interest mission that we have at MITRE. To your point, it like CVE is a resource that we developed under government funding. Um, and we've been this like curator and operator of that CVE knowledge base for many years now. And it's used by governments and industries all around the world. Um, MITRE does a lot of other work that's very much like that in the public interest that's developing these foundational resources to help teams around the world. Um, and, you know, the, the goal is impact, making a difference in the public interest. I think let's let's piggyback, let's pull in that thread for public interest, because obviously we're here to talk about attack and attack was first published in 2015. Um, while you, John, were creating and running MITRE's Cybersecurity Tech Center. If you can, can you kind of peel back the layers of that and, and explain to us what was the impetus for creating attack and what was the team at MITRE hoping would be the outcome from it? Yeah, I, I'll have to say, first off, I can take no credit for creating attack. Um, <laughs> there is a... Uh, we, you know, one of the things that's really unique about MITRE, I, I think, is that um, we we have a large team of uh, cybersecurity professionals that in many cases are given a lot of flexibility to kind of pursue hard problems. Um, in this case, uh, what, what really led to the innovation behind ATT&CK was we were trying to figure out how to help some sponsors uh, improve their ability to detect adversaries in an environment, right? And as you go down that path, well, you got to start figuring out, well, what does an adversary look like in the environment? And that led to this understanding that, well, we need to start thinking about post-compromise, what do adversaries actually do, right? Mm. And that led to the sort of the focus of this project. And we had a, a really cool environment at one of our sites where we were able to leverage that environment, um, the, the actual enterprise environment where, you know, a few hundred staff worked. Um, for testing. And uh, this was, you know, part of this paper that we published called the Fort Meade Experiment. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that really was um, kind of the foundation of the, the research that got us started with attack. And the core nugget in there was there was a decision to look at Intel reporting to derive the set of behaviors that we would focus on um, for doing that detection research in that operational environment. And then there was a, a bright team that kind of had this aha moment, like, wow, this list of things that we're focusing on is like really helpful for others, right? Um, and so that's how I tell the story. Um, obviously, <laughs> I was not the, the creator, but uh, I had the great uh, benefit of being able to work with and, and lead a bunch of that team um, for a few years as I, as I led our department on focused on adversary relation and threat intel. So. And, and since then, we've seen attack grow tremendously. Now you have pre-attack. Now it's not just about Windows systems. You drive it down to the uh, IoT systems, different operating systems, cloud environments as well. And you've got the entire um, uh, MITRE attack um, uh, a workbook that you can go through online and kind of visualize all the attacks and everything. And so it's grown tremendously over the years. Yeah, I think, you know, kind of going back to how we got started with attack and, and i'll probably kick it over to you cat to dig into some more here um one of the key things that's enabled that really widespread adoption was um it was based on intel it was driven by practitioners trying to solve a specific problem and that then meant that it was very approachable and accessible to other practitioners 
Um, so there was never like a top-down mandate, you shall do attack or anything like that. It made sense to people that had a problem. It helped them solve that problem. And it's really led to that widespread kind of grassroots adoption of attack. But before Kat jumps in there, if she wants to add anything to that, but you mentioned that, you know, you've never, you know, MITRE has never mandated that you, thou shalt do attack. Do you think that that has, has maybe inhibited or, or slowed down some of the adoption or is MITRE overall happy with the, the range of adoption that attack has gotten? Uh, I, I would go the other way, like thrilled. I mean, um, <laughs> I, I think that in my mind, it, it's spectacular to see how broadly uh, used attack is. And, um, you know, what I, what I love is, you know, coming to conferences like this and, you know, some of the other events we go to that we, where we hear other teams talk about how they're using attack to solve problems. Mm -hmm. To me, that's incredibly valuable. And in terms of, you know, helping others understand attack and, and kind of make the case to, to use it and to kind of embrace this concept of threat informed defense, I think that's, you know, probably the most valuable thing you can do. Um, obviously, MITRE is not an organization that can mandate anything anyways, but we don't have, you know, government agencies or, or others mandating the use of attack. Instead, you have practitioners talking about their successes, their challenges, helping us improve it um, and uh, helping the world kind of take on that perspective of a threat informed defense. So. Absolutely. Kat, did you want to chime in on that at all? I did. So I think... Full disclosure, attack is community driven, like period. It wouldn't exist without the community. Like in fact, I think when it was started, it was just like a Excel spreadsheet. And the only reason why it gained traction was because it was useful. Like that's kind of the world that we live in, right? Like it's like, no one can really mandate anything nowadays considering like, it was just like a Twitter. <laughs> we just watch how that works. <laughs> Try to tell someone to do something, right? <laughs> See how that goes for you. Um, so I would say like it's, it is heavily used, but I think it's heavily used because it honestly is just a great way to track what adversaries are doing mm -hmm. and it's open source mm -hmm. period. Like that is the biggest, like this is readily available information that is in a very digestible way, right? That we've been able to leverage across whatever agency or government, a private company or a small little tiny organization or one person team you, we all speak the same language if we can use it. Mm -hmm. And then we also have resources and we can understand deeper, like, well, what is, um, I'm like, I'm like, which, which technique do I throw out here? Judge me on my favorite technique. <laughs> what is like tunneling? Like what is, um, using C2 over like bi-directional C2 mm -hmm. via cloud services? I don't know. Like there's so many different rich techniques there. And it's like, how do we communicate that? And then how do we also assess our defenses against it? And there's just so many different applications. And I think that's, I mean, that's really been the driver. And that's why it's grown from an Excel spreadsheet to this massive flag that we were all joking about at attack on recently back to um, like when then we implemented sub techniques and like that evolution mm -hmm. was really a big deal because one of the things, one of the feedback that we had as a team was um, every time we added a new technique, it caused a lot of friction for companies and all these organizations mm -hmm. that had like mapped things technically via machines, mm -hmm. right? So we were like, okay, well, how can we make this longer lasting? And the attack team came up with a great idea of having sub techniques where you had a bunch of different ways to implement that same type of behavior at a much more granular level. 
and and then they've just continued to add on to it with data sources. Um, Alexa uh, Crumpton just or Lex uh, just announced like how we're redoing data sources now, mm. and we're actually like adding in like where we did this first evolution of the components. Now we're doing like true like this is where you can detect this behavior, and she's got a whole presentation on it. So it's it's literally driven by the community, and I keep reiterating that because this is what people have been asking for. And like, we're just stewards, like we're just here to be of service. And like, that is why it keeps getting better is because that's the attitude in which we try to be here for the community. This is, this is all very awesome. And, and again, you, you mentioned attack con and, and I think that it really says something when you, you, a, you've got your own conference that kind of focuses around something that you've, you, you've developed, but also at the same time, you, you talk about you're, you're now maturing as an organization and you're taking your, your concepts and you're creating sub sub techniques because you've realized that you've got such an impact on the day-to-day -day operations of a lot of security teams out there. So I think that that shows a great amount of maturity for the, the, the construct and the, the, the tools that you've built. It's, it's super interesting. Um, I want to pivot really quick. Um, and, and Kat, I want to start with you on this one. Now, I've spent the better part of my time since I left the Air Force listening to vendors try to pitch me their wares all, all, mm -hmm. all the live long day, right? Um, and I frequently heard vendors talk about winning um, at the evals. And, and you all just released a round of results from the evals. And so I want to ask you, I want to put you in my hot seat. I want to ask you a tough question. So who won the last round of evals? Everybody did. Like that is everybody did wait a minute this doesn't sound like what i've seen on the internet cat right like what the dumpster fire that thus is twitter <laughs> yes. um so here's the thing about tech evaluations i was actually thinking about this morning i was like what is a good analogy right um report cards right like if your kid brings mm. you a report card and you're like i got an a and then the parent like what do you do as a parent you're like, well, show me your report card, right? Like, show me your report card. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't want to just see like how you got an overall A. What were the grades that made up your A? Like, did how did you do in homework? Participate? But did you participate? Like, you know, like how did you show up? Right? Not yeah, just yeah. like, did you get a grade in the class? And I think that's the key with attack evaluations, right? Like, mm -hmm. they're not a a pass or fail. Quite frankly, I keep saying that. I, I realize I keep saying these colloquialisms. Um, <laughs> It's a really high risk thing. Like when we talk about like, oh, we have these vendors, right? We have like, we have Carbon Black, we have CrowdStrike, we have all these big name vendors, Sentinel mm -hmm. One. Um, but imagine if you're a smaller company starting out in this space, in the EDR space, and you're like, I really want to participate because like, I want to make my mm -hmm. product better. I want to be like, I want to be someone that's more approachable for a smaller company. Well, the visibility that we have, like that you have on evaluations, is it's a really high risk for some companies. Mm. And that's not, the point is not to win, right? Like there is no like tier here. Everyone's mm. getting the same exact thing. That's a part of the power behind it is that we're giving the customers the ability to look at all of the results, to look at them in detail, like understand what these products look like because every single one is different. Every organization has different goals. And then you can actually look at the raw data and then if you're a big organization or a small organization, it's all the same test. So that's why there can't be a winner. And just the mm. fact that they're participating, quite frankly, is a really big deal. And that I think should also be recognized. You know, how, how, oh, go ahead, John, go ahead. I was going to say, Kat, you know, I think there's actually a, a, a really cool success story through Attack Evals too. It's like when we launched that Evals initiative, 
like one of our goals was to, to try to change the way the whole endpoint detection response industry thought about doing detection, right? I remember this. And, I remember this. You know, so it was, you know, obviously we wanted to help end users understand these products and how they could use them to defend against threats. But we also had this other goal of helping the vendors evolve their capabilities. And, you know, we started out with just a few vendors in our first round, and that came out of, you know, going back to MITRE, an, an internal MITRE research program that enabled that to kind of, kind of come up with that idea. Um, and through a couple of iterations, you know, now with this latest round, um, we've you know, been able to expand the scope of evals and participation in evals to feel like, you know, we really are now regularly engaging with um, these sophisticated vendors to help them kind of think a little bit differently about how you do detection um, and kind of endpoint response, uh, detection response capabilities. And, um, and so to me, that going back all the way to the beginning, Neil, your question about like, you know, what does MITRE do in the public interest or how do, how do you do public interest? It's like, well, we're trying to advance the entire uh, cybersecurity community by um, evolving endpoint detection response capabilities that we all leverage and use, right? And we're trying to make it easier for users to understand how to leverage that. I, I, I can remember that study about the, the endpoint detection. That was when I first got it. That was honestly my first introduction into to MITRE in the oh, civilian right. world because we were trying to do one of those evaluations against endpoint detection for EDR. Right. And, uh, and and we had leveraged our MITRE resources at one of the Fortune 100 companies I worked at to say, hey, look, can you guys help us understand what you're seeing on the eval side? And so um, I, I didn't realize that that was part of that that bigger public interest. But you you mentioned the customers are the true target audience of the evals. How can you kind of walk you through or walk us through or walk the, the audience through? How can people actually interpret the results of the evals to be beneficial for them? So that's an area that we need to work on. <laughs> so funny you should mention that. Um, we actually have uh, a, a so right now, one of the, actually, I was uh, at conferences, I so appreciate all of the happy hours and the dinners that all the speakers <laughs> and participants go to, because honestly, that's where you get some of the most honest feedback, right? Mm -hmm. There's just, yeah. it's really powerful to get unfiltered, like, <laughs> this is what I really think, um, in a very yeah. kind and gracious way, please. So uh, someone was sharing with me how they use the evaluation results and and honestly, it's the common use case that I actually really believe in. And that is they looked at um, their own standard, right? Like they had, they were, they're working for a subsidy of a certain kind of company that has a very specific policy that it has to adhere to. So what they did was they looked at all of the vendors and they looked at like specific techniques that fall like within the scope of their policy. And then they compared each technique um, to each other. And then looked at the actual raw data results basically. And that was how like they, they were able to scope things up. Do they cover these techniques? Cause this is what we have to have covered underneath our policy. Mm. And then they looked at all the ones that covered those techniques. And then they went and looked through like, okay, what kind of detection it was, which um, Jamie's got a really great article. Jamie Williams has a really great article out there on like what the different, um, I think it's Jamie Williams. Jamie Williams and Frank Depp were like our, our all stars when it came to like publishing blogs, explaining mm -hmm. evals and the results. Um, so they have some articles out on Medium that kind of explain like what each detection criteria is. Um, and then like, but using the resources that are currently available along with like taking what makes sense for your environment, not just what's shiny and new and what's marketed, but like what makes sense for 
whatever your conditions are, and then looking at what you actually really want coverage on, um, I think is really helpful. The nice thing about attack and the reason again, why attack I think has been so successful is that it's what has been seen, right? It's not what might happen. It's not what your red team is doing. Your red team hundred percent should be doing way better things than what's cop captured inside of attack, but it's what has been reported on and seen in the wild. And it allows people to be able to prioritize those. Um, for evaluations, we've just specified that to a very specific actor um, so people can have a much more targeted concept. Now, now I want to pick on something that you said there, right? Because you, you talk about being able to evaluate vendors based on the TTPs or the tactics, tactics and procedures that are listed in attack um, to make sure that the vendors that they're selecting meet those, those criteria that they're looking for. Some people would hear that. Some of your customers may potentially hear that and think that um, that those are big enterprise solutions problems, or that's a very mature use case for how to implement something like attack. And so I think it may shy some businesses off thinking that, you know, attack is is a big enterprise solution instead of maybe also geared towards small to medium businesses. John or Kat, this is open to both of you. Would either of you like to opine on that mentality about how to use uh, uh, attack in that way? I mean, that's a fair point. I'm not gonna lie. Like you're right. What I just said was absolutely geared towards enterprise. So fair point. But I'll let John, if you want to take on it, but I can also. Yeah, you know, I I, I think, um, you know, to be honest, there's uh, I think there's work that we can do, and you know, kind of go, going back to to Cat laughing a minute ago about how do we make the results and the data accessible, right? Um, I think through. Uh, you know, our work in the Center for Threat Informed Defense and our research program, we're seeing this over and over again, the, the need to kind of take a look at what we're doing and figure out how do we make this resource, um, whether it's the attack knowledge base itself, uh, attack evaluations results, some of our R&D products, um, that sort of thing. How do, how do we make that much more accessible to end users and like lower the barrier to entry? Um, we're actually getting ready to release a, a, an R&D project um, out of the Center for Threat Informed Defenses Research Program um, in a few weeks. That's it's a little bit controversial, to, to be honest, um, <laughs> because, you know, one of the problems that everybody faces when they look at attack, uh, Kat was talking about it a few minutes ago, the size and complexity of the attack knowledge base has, has grown and increased over time. And people wonder, how do I get started? Um, whether, and that, that really is, whether you're a small team or, you know, big enterprise team, where do I get started? How do I, where should I focus mm -hmm. now? Um, so we have a project that we've called top attack techniques. That's trying to solve that. Mm. Um, it's controversial because the reality is there's probably no right answer. And there's lots of people with different perspectives on what the right answer is. Um, our view is, you know what, let's, let's put something down on paper and let, let's, uh, let's take a cut at, at an answer. Let's work with the community to evolve that into an answer that we all feel like makes the most overall sense. It's never going to be perfect for everybody. But when you're looking at, the, as I said, that size and complexity of the knowledge base today, people need to know where to start. And so let's make it easier for them to figure out how to get started. To me, that's one of the first things that we could do is make it easy for people to get started. I think that that's I think that's really key too, right? Because I I do think like you, right? Attack can be really leveraged across both small, medium businesses as well as large enterprises. Now you mentioned the controversial thing, and I do have to agree with you that is pretty controversial. Very very few people in this industry want to draw a line in the sand and say here are the threats or here are the attacks or here are the things that you should be looking at. You need to be looking at. They're they're always afraid of the the ambiguity that comes with the size of cyber. 
What made you make that brave decision to to put a line in the sand? I, you, you kind of glossed over it a little bit by saying we wanted to say something, but I'm yeah. sure there's more to it than that. Well, you know, I, I'll, I'll steal that as an opportunity to talk a little bit about kind of how we run the center's R&D program. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and, and part of the reason that we decided to tackle this problem, right? it, it's a question that people in the attack community ask all the time. It's like, how do I get started? Where should I focus now? Um, in looking at the knowledge base. Uh, within our center R&D pro program, we've brought together you know, some of the most sophisticated teams from around the world. And you know, those same teams want to know the answer. They, wanna, they, they struggle with that. So I think you have a really wide range of organizations that are kind of struggling with that same problem. Um, and you know, the reality is that there's a lot of organizations and individuals with expertise that can help us kind of pick that problem apart. And, and um, start to like be systematic in how we look at and prioritize um, which you know techniques to, out of the attack knowledge base to focus on. Um, and so what we decided to do is let, let's start to capture that knowledge. Let's develop a methodology for prioritizing based on that knowledge and experience. And you know, the way we look at it is we have a, a collection of 30 really sophisticated security teams that we can draw on their perspectives and expertise um, to come up with a balanced approach by documenting it. We have something written down and we're going to publish that. So everybody can tell us how we did it wrong. And I know they will. <laughs> and we'll listen. And uh, going back to Kat's comment about community, we, we go, please do tell us how we did it wrong because we want to make it better. And we want to work towards incrementally improving our ability to say, hey, you know what, given your priorities and the current threat landscape and the set of techniques that are out there, you should probably look here. And, and give you a reasonable set of things to focus on. Um, you got to start somewhere. And I think coming up with a systematic approach to doing that is, is a critical first step. I, 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 I think that's an awesome distinction. And, and before we move away from attack and over to, to the Center for Threat and Form Defense, I want to ask Kat one more question. Um, you know, uh, during our pre-call, you were explaining to me that there are really kind of two aspects of attack um, that I think are really important to differentiate. We spent a lot of time just here recently talking about attack evaluations, but you had mentioned also enterprise attack. Can you kind of explain the differences between enterprise attack and attack evaluations? Yes. So attack evaluations uses attack. So the actual techniques, the TTPs that we talk about, the tactics, right? That knowledge base of adversary behavior, that is attack, like ATT, ampersand, CK. So that is what that is. Um, we have shamelessly used that name inside of evaluation. So it absolutely can get confused because that's, of course, the most logical thing to do, right? When you work for a nonprofit is to compute all your projects. So um, we have attack evaluations, which what we do is we very specifically leverage attack and map an adversary mapping to attack the actual evaluation. So vendors, um, the procedures that we do are directly in alignment with a attack technique and honestly, sub technique. We've actually mapped this last round. We actually mapped everything to a sub technique. So that's kind of the point behind the evaluations is it leverages attack to actually execute an evaluation. So we keep that common language and keep it accessible to everybody. So that way, when vendors have this attack technique coverage, they're able to do it. It doesn't matter what technology your platform you're on. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. We're all using that same terminology and we're all building detections for those same like type mm. of behaviors, right? Because at the end of the day, the nice thing about tech evaluations is that 
all of those configurations that the vendors use, like John said earlier, um, we made a point of you can't release secret sauce, right? Like you have to, like whatever you give to your default customer, that is what you have to bring to the table at attack evaluations. And so that's kind of like the differentiator, right? Like that has to be available and accessible to everyone, not just your, your paid, super high elite customers. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, attack is absolutely like what we base everything on and getting started with attack. There's actually some really great resources. There's a lot of YouTube videos, Katie Nichols and Adam Pennington did a lot of getting started with attacks or attacks attack. And then also for attack evaluations, um, we have the adversary emulation library. So you had mentioned like, it's not very accessible for like the one man chat. Right. Um, which I, I kind of like, those are my peers. So it's like, we talk all the time and they're like, you're killing me smalls and you're right. We'll fix this. So, um, and just as John said earlier, like we really love feedback. It's definitely one of my mm-hmm. love languages. So one thing that we've done is um, Mads actually come out with uh, a free adversary emulation um, and that leverages the adversary emulation library, which is based off of previous rounds of attack evaluation. So mm. um, Fin7, Carbonac, um, what is it? Um, there, there's a couple of others. All of those, they already have those in the YAML files and those that will allow, like they'll actually walk through how to implement this into your environment. And that's much more accessible for someone that's like that one or two man team responsible for, you know, the entire security org in addition to IT. That's awesome. Um, I want to, I want to go ahead and pivot back over now. Now, John, you kind of hinted at this a little bit more as we talk about the concept of threat informed defense. Um, we had Carl Wright, the chief commercial officer at Attack IQ. He was on my cyber and security live stream last year, and he gave us a brief overview of his interpretation of, of threat informed defense. But now that I've got you two here, um, I would absolutely love and I'd love for my audience to hear right from the horse's mouth, so to speak. John, as the new director for the Center for Threat Informed Defense, what is this all about? Yeah, uh, so threat informed defense, you know, the way we define it is is fundamentally about uh, leveraging a deep technical understanding of our adversaries and their tradecraft and applying that to advance our defensive capabilities, right? So it's understand your adversaries, work to systematically improve your understanding of your adversaries as you get more mature, leverage that knowledge to continually improve and evolve your defensive capabilities. Um, and if you think about what that means, like improving um, and advancing your defensive capabilities. There's some critical aspects to that, right? There's um, testing your capabilities from the perspective of your adversary. So leveraging that knowledge of the threat to start to test out those capabilities. So, you know, continual uh, testing of capabilities is a critical piece in there. Um, having a, an Intel team that is starting to think about adversary behaviors and focusing on behaviors providing inputs to the rest of your security team is a critical component in threat informed defense as well. Um, and then from a, a defender's perspective, starting to understand how those defensive capabilities actually relate to behaviors and how of adversary behaviors, just to be very clear, um, and how um, that defensive capability will help you mitigate or detect or prevent that adversary behavior. Kind of pulling that collection together, that's what threat informed defense is to, to me. Um, we developed a whole center around that notion of trying to uh, systematically advance the state of the art and the practice in threat informed defense with the global cybersecurity community. So that's what our mission is in the center. 
I, I think it's really important to note, and I, and I love making this distinction, right? The threat-informed defense is a strategy. It's not a tool. You're not going to buy it. Nobody's going to sell it to you. It's about a different way to look at your cybersecurity offensive and defensive strategy, regardless of what side of the team you sit on. Is that is that a fair interpretation? Yeah, I com completely agree. And, and I also think, you know, I'd pile on at this point, too. You know, I, I think there's some foundational hygiene and, and uh, capability that you have to have to really be able to employ a threat-informed defense. Like, you need to understand what your network looks like. You need to understand your resources, um, your assets, to, to then be able to start to leverage a threat-informed defense. Um, so you probably don't start with threat-informed defense. Um, it's also not a not a solution. It's a mindset, right? It's it's an approach to um, thinking about your defenses from the perspective of an adversary. Kat, what were your thoughts when you when you got brought into this construct of uh, of a threat informed defense, especially coming from a heavy CTI background, cyber threat intelligence background, um, and your work in the in the military? What was kind of your take on uh, on threat informed defense? You're on mute. Just kidding. Um, fun <laughs> fact: um, someone had to do it, right? Yeah. Um, I have a husky, so I will go on mute from time to time because she sings, and it's beautiful to only my ears. So fun fact, I, I wasn't cyber threat intelligence in the military. I was actually human intelligence, um, which is definitely an ironic thing. So we're clear. I fully am aware of this. And we all <laughs> joked about it at the time too, because we were like, we do realize this is not intelligent. But we're calling it that because we want to feel better about ourselves. So um, I think when I got into cyber, I started off as a developer, right? So I was the one everyone was yelling at because I just wanted it to work, right? Like that was my perspective. You've hired me to do a job and I just need it to work. I really don't care if I spun up a local HTTP server because I just need that app to like figure out like, is it even talking to the database authentication? That's that's like later, right? Because I just need it to talk to it. It's like, I just need it. I need these messages to, to communicate correctly, right? Like that was my problem set and my perspective. Um, and then I went on to the red team and then I was like, wow, all of the things that I can do. Thank you, developer. <laughs> and then I went on to threat. And then of course I got super arrogant when I was on the red team. Cause I was like, why aren't they doing this? This is so easy. You know, like how can they not like account for all these things? Like, isn't it obvious? Right. And then I went to be a threat hunter. And then I was like, oh my God, there are so many logs. Like, how do you even find this, right? Like what is, there is so much weird stuff that we do and it's normal. Like it is a setting on a washing machine. Like that is truly like, not only are we messy humans, our environments are just as messy. And prod, if I've ever, I've never seen a stage that looks like prod. So we're clear. Like whoever actually has accomplished that, my hat is off to you. Cause that's a thing. So I would say, um, my perspective has definitely shifted as mm. I've evolved. Right. And I think it's okay to have a little grace with ourselves or where mm -hmm. we are. Cause sometimes like we're just in an environment where I just need to know how many computers I have. Like, that's it. Mm -hmm. I just need to figure out how to take inventory. And like, and that is definitely exactly what John was talking about. Like there's some foundational things that need to happen before you can even approach this. Otherwise it's just too overwhelming. And so um, someone actually recently told me this and I, I was like, this is, that's brilliant. Why didn't I think of that? It's because I'm an overachiever and I'm a people pleaser. That's why. Um, <laughs> they were like, pick three things to do over the year. That's it. In the right direction, mm -hmm. three things. And then try to accomplish each one of those three things. Don't try to implement a new product suite. Don't try to implement multiple, no, just want like, like little baby things. 
and then try to incrementally get better as a result. Cause you're going to just find things kind of shake out as you're shifting things around. And then eventually threat informed events is just going to organically happen because mm -hmm. it'll make sense. And that's kind of mm -hmm. what happened for me in my career. That's, that's awesome. That, that's awesome perspective right there. Now, now, John and Kat, both, you've mentioned the, the wide amount of collaboration, the reliance on the community and everything else has gone on. It's been a common theme throughout this conversation. And we all work feverishly as an industry to, to try and better the industry and the world as a whole through all the actions. What are some very specific ways that the Center for Threat Informed Defense is fostering collaboration either with the community or with the companies that are, that are out there right now? Yeah. Yeah, uh, thanks. You know, you kind of go full circle here with this conversation. We've talked about collaboration and its community that's really enabled attack to be what it is and drive attack forward. Um, it's organizations coming to us, giving us feedback on evals that have helped us evolve evals into what it is today. Um, when uh, we created the Center for Threat Informed Defense, we, we had teams coming to us looking to collaborate on taking uh, attack and operationalizing it, developing capabilities and resources that were sort of around attack, helping them to apply attack into their operations, right? Um, looking to work with us directly, looking to collaborate with others. Um, and this kind of led to that sort of aha moment. There's, you know what, some of the things that these teams are doing, well, that other team's doing it too. We, we should get together. And, you know, if, if only there was a way to like fund <laughs> research together to tackle these problems. And, and that's what really led to, to the inception of the Center for, for Threat Informed Defense. So we're a privately funded research and development organization. We bring security teams together that are interested in collaborating to advance threat informed defense in the public interest. So, you know, you work with us to identify a problem. We bring in, you know, our team, our MITRE researchers, the perspectives of our uh, center participants, these other security teams to take that problem and like figure out, well, what do we want to do to try to solve that? What, what does the solution look like? And then we run a research project. And when we're done, going back to the beginning, because we're chartered to work in the public interest, we publish our results. We make it available for everybody. Um, one of the things that I love to emphasize and what really motivates me with the center is we're driven by impact. Um, we are incentivized to create an R&D program that's well aligned with the interests and priorities of our center participants and creates impactful R&D. So impactful means it can be easily understood and used to make a difference, right? Um, so I think we've created sort of a, a unique venue here that is all about trying to advance threat informed defense for the global cybersecurity community in the public interest. If, if there's somebody listening right now, whether it's a, a company or an organization or somebody with a company or an individual, um, what does it look like to get involved with the Center for Threat Informed Defense? You know, who can they reach out to? What, what are some actions that they can do if they want to be a part of this type of initiative? Yeah, so there, I, I get lots of uh, questions about, you know, how do we get involved in the center? Um, at this point, we've, we've run um, and published results for 16 different R&D projects. So sometimes people are interested in a particular project. And that's kind of the most common question, I guess. Like, hey, that project you guys just launched on understanding the TTPs that insiders use. I'm really interested in that one. How do I get involved? Um, a lot of that just comes as, a, as an email into ctid at miterengenuity.org, um, and we'll set up a conversation. We're building out communities around some of these research projects, and with each of those resources, the easy one is just our, our generic alias. You can reach us there. 
Um, if you're one of those organizations that um, wants to go beyond just leveraging um, and providing feedback and helping us to kind of advance a single project towards like, where should we be going with threat informed defense and how do we advance R&D and threat informed defense? Um, that's a different conversation. That's, you know, reach out and talk with me about maybe becoming a center participant. We're looking to, you know, very sort of selectively build out our set of participants. We want global representation because we think that um, that diversity of perspectives is really important. And we want cross-sector uh, cross representation mm -hmm. as well. So we want people like looking at the problem from slightly different perspectives to come together to figure out what are the right problems to focus on. So happy to talk with people about really driving R&D forward by becoming a center participant. That, that's really awesome. And, and I, I could say that it's been exciting to watch the, the threat informed defense concept take off over the last couple of years. Excited to have you at the at the helm of the Center for Threat Informed Defense and can't wait to see what you what awesome stuff you do, uh, you know, in your in your tenure there. Last question. Um, and this is open to both of you. I want both of you to answer this, uh, you know, you know, as you see fit, especially now that we're at the end of the segment. What is the future of MITRE ATT&CK and the Center for Threat Informed Defense look like to you all? Go Who wants to go first? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Both looking at each other. <laughs> That's right. Go ahead, Kat. I'm going to pick on you. All right. Go first. Sounds good. Um, attack has, like, I can speak. So at, so at AttackCon, uh, we actually, Adam Pittington, who is the overall lead of Attack, um, had every lead that he's, like, incorporated into the team. Um, basically share what their future roadmap looks like um, for so like the cyber threat intelligence team. What that looks like is we're going to start mapping campaigns. We're actually like, what's really cool is Matt Malone is heading up that. And he very intentionally was like, we need your help even defining this. Like, we're not going to just say like, we know what's best. You shall eat, you know, like this dog, like, sorry, there's like a, there's a colloquial, like, <laughs> you don't want dog food, right? Um, like, that's just not the way we, that we work, right? It's like, it's a very collaborative, just as John said multiple times. Um, and so, like, we have a framing and a concept, but we need the community that's actually out there and watching these intrusions and, like, writing these actual reports that we're then leveraging inside of Attack. Um, we need them to come together with us and figure out what that looks like. Um, Lex, I mentioned earlier, is doing this big revamp of data. Like, she's actually got an incredible background in forensics and detection. And so she's kind of like steering the way for what that looks like for attack and how do we make that more useful for our defenders. Um, I am the Mac OS and Linux lead. Um, my big initiative over the next year is essentially to, we worked really hard to integrate inside of the Mac OS community through the Hunt for Red Apples DEF CON workshop at the Blue Team Village. We've done objective by the Sea Talks. We've, we've done a lot of different community engagement we actually have a Slack channel for like Mac OS and for Linux inside of the attack Slack um, that we are actively on on Mondays to answer any questions people might have um, specific to the platforms. Because as you know, we've talked about on this during the session, it can be really intimidating getting started with mm -hmm. attack. It's a lot. And so we really wanted to create this approachable, like authentic and very like it's okay to fail fast environment. And, um, and so every leads kind of had the thing, actually, there's some really great functions coming up that, um, Jared is heading up where he's actually my favorite improving the search function and attack. So Ooh. we're very excited. Um, but yeah, so there's, I would definitely encourage people to look at that, but overall, like 
I guess the future is like, we're just listening to the feedback mm. and then we're trying to incorporate it um, while being good stewards. How about you, John? Yeah, uh, you hear some similar themes here too. With the, the Center's R&D program, as I said, we're, we're motivated by impact. Um, so we'll be doing a lot of work to kind of take some of the resources that we've already created um, and kind of refine them based on community feedback to make them more impactful. And so, you know, that might be uh, taking some of the work that we've done to map like security capabilities of different cloud providers to attack and, and developing tools and resources to make that information much more accessible and make it much more actionable for teams. Right now, it's great information. Um, but it does require you to sit down and read a, a big, long web page, right? And so there's things that we can do to improve the, the accessibility and impact of that work. So that's on one hand, but, you know, um, at kind of a, a larger scale, um, you know, we're, we're focused on a few different key problem areas. Um, we want to make it easier to operationalize threat intel. And, um, you know, so that... That means it's got to be easy to bring into your organization and it's got to be easy for like your red team or your hunt team or your SOC team to be able to take and use, right? And so um, that's kind of one of our core problem areas. Um, we're always working to help organizations understand how different security capabilities help them defend against the threat. So I expect we'll be doing a lot more of that, doing that sort of translation. Um, you'll see a lot more work from us around advancing how we think about sort of emulating threats um, to test out our defensives. So we have another project we're kicking off in a couple of weeks here around adversary emulation. So you'll see some more of that. Um, so those are some of our core themes that you'll see coming out of our research program. Um, ultimately, we work with our security, uh, uh, the, the security teams uh, that are center participants to identify and prioritize our R&D program against those areas. So it should be a lot of uh, good R&D coming out over the next few months. I expect we'll publish like five or six more projects this year for sure. This is awesome. Kat and John, thank you all so very, very much for joining me today. What a riveting conversation this was, and I can't say how very excited I am to have MITRE ATT&CK and Threat Informed Defense as my strategy at Query.ai, and I can't wait to see what the future holds for you all. Thank you for joining me for this conversation. Wow, what an exciting time to be in cybersecurity. Make sure you reach out to our panelists on LinkedIn, and please check out Cyber Insecurity on YouTube. See you next time, and keep learning. <laughs>